Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be talking on the subject, the point is repentance. When we read through this, I want you to ask the question, what's the point? <laughs> what, what's the point? What are, we, what are we doing here? What's happening here? And the point is repentance. So Revelation chapter 9, if you would stand one more time, if you have the means and you're able, if you need to remain seated, um, it's not a problem. Revelation chapter 9, I'd like to read through the um, entire chapter, if you will. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from, the sh then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. But they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like, like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, his name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill. Remember the first ones, they just torment. And you'll want to die. But death will run away from you. Now this one comes on the scene and they have permission to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, John says. And if you do the math on that, that's 200 million. 200 million of these is what he, what he heard is how many they were. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates, the color of red or fire and of sapphire or blue and of sulfur or yellow. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and the fire and the smoke and the sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, the fire, the smoke and the sulfur, 
by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. But then pay attention to this next part. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You can be seated. And let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and um, we want to thank you for what we witnessed in baptism this morning. God, thank you that you have opened Jacob's eyes and that you have pricked his heart to see his sin condition. Lord, thank you that you've given, given him a new heart, a heart that desires to follow you. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, I pray that he would know this morning that this is not the end of the battle. This is the beginning. This is where the war begins. Lord, I pray that he would know that he's, he's never had to fight his sin before. And now he's in the battle. His eyes have been opened. His heart has been made aware. And now he's in the battle to fight his sin. And Father, I pray that you give him strength to fight. Lord, I pray this morning that as we get into your word, Father, I pray that you would cause it to accomplish your purpose. Lord, I have no strength. I have no power. I have no ability in and of myself to to make any real lasting change in anyone's hearts this morning except you go before me and you send this word out. So Father, I pray this morning that you would change hearts. Father, I pray this morning that you would open eyes. And I pray this morning that people will leave here different this morning because of the word that they've heard from you, not from me. Father, just use me as a vessel. And Lord, I just pray that you'd speak through me. Whatever that looks like, Father. Lord, I trust you, and I know that you will do what is best. Father, we love you. Forgive us where we fail you, but thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. We know that the only reason we have it is because of Christ and what he has done for us. So, Father, we thank you for that this morning. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just by way of reminder, we are in a series going through the book of Revelation. Revelation is a prophetic book that was given to us so that we could see the end of all things. So God wanted us to see this is what the end looks like. This is what the wrath of God being completely unleashed onto the world looks like. And then at the end of Revelations, we also get to see that this is what the beginning of the new creation looks like. And this is what heaven looks like. So we get to see... We get to see all of it, the full picture, as we study this book of Revelation. Now as we go through it, there are some things that are hard to understand. There are some pictures that are given that, that our minds can't comprehend. As we read about the bodies of these creatures, these demons, if you will, that have been released onto the earth in the fifth and sixth trumpets, I want you to understand one thing. The Bible also teaches us that God has given to each thing a body as He pleases. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I don't know exactly the verse, but you can find it. It says, God has given to each one a body as He pleases. 
So humans have a body like they have because that's what God wanted them to have for the purpose they were created. Um, animals have a body like they have and all types of different bodies, all types of different animals. Plants have a body. Trees have a body. There are the, the, um, the stars have a body. The sun, the planets, they... No matter what you look at, Christ has given each one a body as He has pleased. Don't let it surprise you that when you read about these bodies, you go, now that just sounds crazy to me because I've never seen anything like that. Well, listen, if a tree had never been created and it just sprung up out there in the yard this morning, you would walk out after church and you'd look at it and go, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I can't even believe this. But it's just a tree. And what you need to understand is when God releases these things that you see in the fifth and sixth trumpets of judgment, it is also God giving them bodies as He sees fit for the purpose in which they are going to serve. And so as we go through this, we get to see things that are a bit confusing, a bit things that, that our mind will not be able to completely comprehend and that we may not be able to put into complete perspective and so we have to ask the question, well, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? Well, the point is, God told us beforehand, I wrote these things so that you can see the things that are going to take place soon. God says, I want you to see it. Whether you completely understand it, whether you can grasp it with your finite mind is not important right now. What is important is that you see it and that you understand that it's true and that it is going to take place. Now we don't know if this is physical. We don't know if this is a literal picture that is going to take place. We don't know if this is something that happens in the spiritual realm that is real, but physical eyes may not see it in the same way. We don't really know. But we do know that this torment is going to happen. That this demon army is going to be released into the world. And we'll look at that just a little bit more here in just a few minutes. But up to this point, we have seen Christ holding the title deed to the earth. You remember in Revelation chapter 5, they were looking for one worthy to open the scroll. And they couldn't find one. And John began to weep and the elder come up and said, No, don't cry. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the lamb of God, the root of David, he is worthy. And He's worthy because He gave His life and He ransomed all peoples from all different tribes and nations and backgrounds unto God. And He's worthy to open the scroll. And He takes this scroll and it has seven seals on it. So it has these little um, uh, wax-like seals that are on this scroll and He breaks them open one at a time. And as He breaks them open, He gets to see that war, world war breaks out and men slay one another. He breaks it open, He gets to see that Famine comes in and, and kills so many people on the earth. He, he gets to open another seal and he sees that after the famine comes that then uh, pestilence comes and disease and, and, and then we have a, a, a death that comes and takes over a quarter of the people from the world. And then after that, we see that after death comes that there is a great persecution of Christians that takes place and, and, and many are martyred for their faith. And then after that, we see that great meteor showers come flinging down to the earth as if a fig tree were being blown by the wind and all those figs just fly off. And these are 
stars and meteorites falling from the sky and the Bible tells us that every island and mountain is moved out of its place or not everyone but many of them are moved out of their places because of this destruction that takes place on the earth. And then we move from the seals when the seventh seal is finally opened we moved into the, seal, the, the scroll being opened up and there's silence in heaven because they can see exactly what's taking place on the scroll. And they see in these seven trumpet judgments that in the first trumpet that there is this uh, great burning mountain that falls from the sky and it, 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 it burns up everything on the land. A third of all the grass and the plants and the trees, all the crops and the vegetation are gone. And then the next thing that happens, another one falls and hits the sea and we see that a third of the sea is destroyed with all of the animals that are in it. A third of them are gone. A third of the ships are gone. And so even the crops that are left, now all we have is a third, not even a, a, a we have two-thirds of ships that are able to get it back and forth across the world. And then a third of the sea is destroyed. So there are so many things that are affected. And we go on through the other trumpets and we get up to the fifth and sixth trumpets. For sake of time, we will go through those this morning very quickly. In chapter 9, verse 1, I want you to notice the fifth trumpet. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from the heavens to the earth. And so here's what we're fixing to find out in this. All of the other judgments of God up to this point have basically been coming from the heavens. But now we have what the Bible refers to as the three woes. John said he looked up in the sky and he saw a great eagle screaming with a loud voice, Whoa! 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 to the inhabitants of the earth at the three trumpets that are about to sound. And here we have the first woe and we understand why because now it's no longer the heavens being poured down on earth. We're fixing to open up hell and the contents of hell are fixing to come out and they are fixing to have free reign to torment all those that are not sealed by God and His Holy Spirit. And so he says here that when the fifth angel blew his trumpet, I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. Now, what I want you to understand is that when it says he saw a star falling, this is the English Standard Version. If you have the New American Standard Version or you have, um, I think, even the New King James gets it uh, not necessarily right, but a fuller meaning. This is right. He saw a star falling from heaven to earth. But there are many times when we read in this translation and it might make you think that this is something happening in the present. But what you have here, and I, I don't want to bore you with this this morning, but it's important that you know this so we can kind of identify what this is. In, in grammar, when you study going from the Greek to the English that we have today, you look at this and where we get a star fallen, it comes from a verb that is a perfect participle. Now, if we've got any English teachers in here today, you might know a little bit about what I'm talking about. But this right here is a completed action verb. It has already taken place. And so what John is saying here is that when the fifth angel blew his trumpet, I looked and I saw a star that had already fallen from heaven to earth. Now we've got to try to identify who this is because notice what it says. It's not just a star. It says, and he was given. So it's a he. And he was given 
the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And so you might remember that in... Um, I don't remember exactly where it is, but Jesus was talking to His disciples and he's, they, were, they were excited that the demons were subject to them. They came back and they told Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus says, don't, don't be excited about that. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth. And what we have to understand is that we have references all throughout the Scripture that tell us that when Satan rebelled against God, he was thrown from heaven to the earth. And so, look, look at a few other places where it describes it in Revelation chapter 9 right here. You might uh, look down and it tells us that the star is called the king. Now, you, if you go down to verse uh, 11, he says, They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. So again, you start putting the piece together and you see this star is actually an angel, which is exactly what Satan was before he rebelled. And you see here that this one is a king over the ones that are in the bottomless pit. So in other words, he is their leader. He is their ruler, if you will. Now, I don't want you to think for one second that in hell that Satan is going to be running around with his pitchfork just tormenting everybody and he rules in hell. Satan does not rule in hell. Satan is going to be in torment just like everybody else that is there. But what we have here is an understanding that when Satan fell from heaven, the Bible also tells us that his tail drew a third of the stars with him or a third of the angels with him. Many times in the Bible, the Bible refers to angels as just a reference as stars. And so we have an innumerable company of angels. In other words, they can't be numbered. And then Satan falls from heaven to earth and he drags a third of an innumerable company with him. Now out of this innumerable company, there are some that have been brought into the bottomless pit. Not all of them but some. We'll get there in just a minute. Look at one more place where we know this is Satan. At the end of verse 11 it says, His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. And those two words in Hebrew simply means, Abaddon means destruction, and Apollyon in Greek means destroyer. That's his name. Destruction and destroyer. Anybody remember what the Bible says that Satan came to do? Satan comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. You can look down through here and I believe that we can, we can definitively say that this is very likely Satan who is being given the key to this bottomless pit here. Now keep following with me. It says that he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now another thing that we get here is that this word in which we translate bottomless pit is also translated as the abyss. Now there's another place where that word is used. In Luke chapter 8, verse 31, I believe it is. Actually, let's start in verse 28 so that you get a little uh, context here. In Luke chapter 8, verse 28, and you might remember this is where there's a man that's been chained in a graveyard, basically. He's demon-possessed and he's naked, they've chained him up, and Jesus has just crossed a stormy sea just because he heard this man's cry. And he gets over to the other side, and look what happens in verse 28 of Luke 8. 
when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So the demons know who Jesus is, okay? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Well, if he comes out of the man, he's got to go somewhere. For many a time it had seized this man, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. This is the bottomless pit. Now here's the picture that I want you to see. Satan drug a third of an innumerable company of angels which are now demons because they rebelled against God. He drug them to earth with him. And now we have this bottomless pit, this abyss. Hell is basically what it is. And so now we have this pit and there are some demons that if they are commanded are sent to this abyss. Not all of them because Jesus don't send these. They actually asked Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, they know that this is our final destination, but it's not time for us yet. Now if you were to go with me to Luke chapter, um, I'm sorry, Jude chapter 6. Look at Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 6, I apologize. There's only one chapter in Jude. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So again, let's just put all the pieces together so you get the full picture. There is an abyss, a place of torment, a bottomless pit, if you will. And the demons are all going there with the devil. But not all of them have been sent there yet because God has a purpose for some. But according to Jude, the ones who did not stay within their own position of authority. Now let's take that for what it might mean, and I believe it means here. You remember when Job was being tested and Satan came before Job and said, I can't get to him because you have him protected. And God said, okay, you can do this, but you can't do this. Here's what I believe you have here. I believe you have a group of angels that were specifically told you can do this, but you can't do this. And they tried to do what they were not supposed to do. And when they did, they were unbridled, they were out of control, and God sends them here in chains to be kept until the day that He sees fit for them to be used again. And so you have this abyss, and you have this angel who I believe is Satan, the king over them, who drug them with him. And he comes down, and in this fifth trumpet, when it blows, he's given the key because if you were to go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, you would see that Jesus took the key for, to, uh, to the bottomless pit. And now he gives Satan back the key and he says, Go ahead. And all the contents of hell... Now here's what you have in the abyss. The worst of the worst. Not just the, the evil force we deal with on this earth. Anybody know what I'm talking about about that? That's not what we have here. We have the full contents of all of the worst of the worst that is now being opened up and there are so many that come out. 
that the sky turns black with the smoke. Literally, hell belches. And as it belches, here comes out all of the evil contents that are now being held and being kept until this great day. So let's keep reading. Verse 2. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. Now I don't want you to think that this is actually locusts. It could be, but it's not like locusts like you're thinking of. John is seeing a vision here, and he compares them to locusts. Do you know what locusts do? When locusts land on a field, that, there are many that say the sky will literally turn black from the amount of locusts that come in. And when they come in, they will land on a field. And when they leave, do you know what's left? Absolutely nothing. They completely destroy. They completely destruct. And when John looks at this, he, he says, these are locusts. Now again, is he saying that these are actually locusts? I don't know. I'm not trying to be dogmatic this morning and say this is this and this and this. I'm just trying to say you need to see at least a vision of what it's going to take place. So let's keep reading. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this this morning. In verse 3, Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months. Now you remember, if we were reading back in chapter 7, remember the question at the end of chapter 6 was, who can stand this? Who will make it through this? Do you remember what the answer was? The ones that God sealed. The ones that He put a mark on them. And He said, they will not be harmed. And so we still have preaching going on here. We still have at least 144,000, which I believe are Jews. We still have at least 144,000 that are still in this earth that can't be harmed. And they're still preaching the gospel. So repentance is still possible. Likely? Not likely, but possible. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth. Do not, you can harm only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. Anybody in here been stung by a scorpion? Probably not very many in here. I looked it up. Middle East scorpions. There's all kinds of scorpions. Some of them are bad, but not that bad. But Middle East scorpions are bad. Bad. Pain like you cannot believe. And that's why the Bible calls it torment here. But anyway, keep following with me. Verse 6. And in those days people will seek death. That's how bad the torment is. And they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. You know what that means? Even if they wanted to kill themselves. Verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like and here's where you know that John's not telling you that these are horses and this is what it is. He's just telling you this is the best I can do. <laughs> this is what it's like. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. 
and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. John's saying, this is the best I can do. This is the best illustration I can give you. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and the power and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Woe here means dread, despair. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. And so keep going with me in verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now listen, if angels are bound, they're probably not good, right? And so we're not seeing good angels here. We're saying, we're saying these are four angels that are bad dudes. And they are being released from this bondage at the great river Euphrates. Verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, they've been prepared for this. This is their purpose. When they were released, they were released to kill a third of mankind. Now if you remember something, back in the previous um, seals, we've already seen a quarter of the world die. Now we add another third to that. And basically when you do the percentage, what you come up with is this is 58.3% of the world gone at this moment right here. Let's keep reading. The number of their mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. It was 200 million. And this this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of red and blue smoke and of yellow sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by their mouths... by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. And look at this. Their tails are like serpents with heads. You don't like snakes? Wait till you see this. And by means of them, they wound. Now listen. There have been commentators over the years, theologians maybe, that have said... Well, maybe this is talking about Apache helicopters or maybe this John was seeing things that he'd never seen before and he was trying to describe it like this. Here's my advice and, and, and actually Vody Bauckham gave this advice and I believe it's very good advice. If you hear hoof prints, think horses, not zebras. So when you read this, take it as much as possible for what it is. Don't just try to come up with, well, this is probably what it is. Because here's one thing you know for certain. We've seen Apache helicopters. We know the destruction and the damage they can do. But let me tell you what Jesus said about this time. He said, when this time hits, it will be a time of such great tribulation that the world has never seen it, and the world will never see this kind of tribulation again. So it is likely that this is not Apache helicopters. This is... God's wrath as He unleashes hell onto this world. Now with that being said, here's the sermon this morning. What's the point? What's the point? 
I mean, God, seven seals, seven trumpet judgments, and after this, seven bowls that are poured out of the wrath of God. What's the point? Well, verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear walk, nor did they repent of their murders and their sorceries. Now, that word is a good one to go back and study in the Greek. Listen to what it actually means. Here's the word for it. Pharmakos. Pharmakos. Y'all know what pharmacies do? What do pharmacies do? They distribute drugs. Let's read this again nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries. The Greek word is pharmakos and this is what it means. It is used of people using drugs and religious incantations to drug people into living by their illusions. Another word from this is poisoners, sorcerers, or magicians. They try to take you to another place. Are y'all with me? Do you know what one of the greatest epidemics in this world right now is? They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't repent. So what's the point? The point is repentance. That's the point. All the curse and the wrath of God in this world is meant to bring you to repentance. The point is not just to kill. That's not the point. The point is not just to torment. Now is it part of the point? Yes, because there are some that will not repent. And then the point is torment. The point is wrath. But right now, the point is still repentance. And so here's, if you're taking notes, write the first point down. All the curse and the wrath of God is meant to bring us to repentance. All this evil that you experience, all the curse of this world, all the wrath of this world is meant for you to look at it and go, what is wrong with this place? It's meant to turn you to Him so that you will seek God. Let's look at one place we can see this. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 is where we'll start at. Paul is preaching on the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. It's the message on Mars Hill is what it's called. And he's preaching to the leaders of Athens and he wants them to know who this unknown God is that they worship. Paul walks through Athens and he sees all these gods that they worship. But then he comes to this one that has an inscription on it that says, to the unknown God. In other words, just in case we miss one, we want to make sure that we get worship to all the gods. And so Paul tries to use this as a platform to say, let me tell you who the unknown God is. He's the God of everything. And then he points out some details about this God in verse 26, and this is what he says. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Keep that in your mind and look what he does next in verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not actually far from each one of us. So what are we reading here? 
Here's what Paul is saying. God pre-appointed your times and my times. God already decided this is the day that Francis King is going to be born. And God has already decided this is the day that Francis King is going to die. And God has already decided this is how it's going to take place. And this is true for every one of us in this earth. Whether you are a newborn or whether you are 90 years old, your times have already been predetermined. Now y'all stay with me. What does that mean? Well, verse 27 he says, so that they should seek God. He wants you to know that this is not it. Death is a judgment on sin, right? And the Bible says that God pre-appointed your death so that you would seek Him. I love the way the New King James Version puts this. It says, so that they might grope for Him. That word grope means to search for blindly. It means I don't know what's out there, but I know something else is out there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's built into every one of you. I don't know what it is, but something is out there and God says, follow that. Keep following it. Keep searching. Keep searching because He's not far from each one of us. There's coming a day to where if you search for Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. But it happens because of the curse of this world in death. He also goes on and He says, He has pre-appointed our times or He has uh, determined our allotted times but also the boundaries of our dwellings. In 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed. Now during that time, was the world round in their minds? And if you get to the end of this thing, what happens? What would possess a man who believes that the world is flat to get in a boat and say, I'm going that way. He knew something else was there. God has already determined whether you will ever leave Giles County. God has already determined whether Tennessee is as far as you will ever go. God has already determined whether you will ever leave the United States. God has already set a boundary for your dwellings. Why? So that they should what? Seek God. Feel for Him. Grope for Him. In other words, there is something built inside of each and every one of you that says there's something else out there. Now, you may not have a lot of it in you. You say, well, I ain't leaving Pulaski. Some of y'all say, well, I ain't leaving my house. That you may not have much of it in you, but there's something in each and every one of us that says there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. There's something else that is out there and it's in the hopes that they might search for Him and they might find Him. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed. What, is to, what does it mean to be revealed? It means you can see it, Right? Opened up, dropped the curtain as she said. You can see it. It's visible. And so what you need to understand is God wants you to see this wrath in the world. He wants you to see that He has given this world over to debased minds, to debased hearts, to impure passions. Those of you in law enforcement see it every day, right? 
every day. You know. Don't nobody have to convince you that this world is cursed. You know it. Those of you that are paramedics, those of you that are nurses, you know that something in this world is not right. And the point is, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We refuse to acknowledge that God is who He is and He is worthy of worship and He is worthy of of praise. Go with me to Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness? In other words, do you disregard it? Do you disregard the riches of His kindness? Or what about His forbearance? What does it mean to forbear with somebody? Be patient and hold up under their flaws, right? Do you, do you, do you disregard that He forbears with you? Do you disregard that He has patience with you in His wrath? Do you know that God should have killed you in your sleep last night? Every one of you, me included. God should have killed me in my sleep last night because of my sin, because of my heart, because of my mind, because of my utter disregard for His righteousness and who He is. He should have struck me dead. And yet, He has forbearance. He has patience. He has kindness. And look what it says next. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to do what? To lead you to what? To repentance. His forbearance with you is meant to say, come on guys, look at this. Look at what a world looks like when sin is in control. Look at it. And this is just a glimpse of it. And it's meant to turn you around. Here's the point. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, I'm not sure which verse it is, but he tells us in Romans chapter 11 to look at both the kindness of God and the severity of God. There it is. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. In other words, I want you to see the good things in this world. I want you to see the grace that God has given you because it's not all wrath right here. Right now you get both the kindness of God and the wrath of God. But I want you to take note of both of them. And the reason being is because in the the wrath of God, He's saying to you, shoo, shoo from this world. Get away from this sin. Get away from all the things that cause this curse. But then in the kindness of God, He woos us. He says, come to this. When you look in your newborn baby's eyes or your newborn grandbaby's eyes and you sit there and you feel that joy and you feel that goodness and you feel that grace, that's a wooing God saying, I'm good. I'm good. And He woos us with His kindness and His grace and He shoes us from sin with His wrath. And so we take note of both of them. But all of this is to prove my point that I just gave you. All of the curse and the wrath of God is meant to bring you to repentance. It's meant to turn this thing around. And here, after all this wrath, because at this point, a lot of His goodness and His forbearance and His patience is being taken. And you're not seeing much of it anymore at this point. Now He's unleashing all of hell onto this earth. And it is meant to lead you to repentance. But people still do not repent. Number two, I've only got three points. Here's the second point. Repentance is a human responsibility that comes from faith. 
Repentance is a human responsibility that comes from faith. Let me say that again. It is your responsibility to repent. God commands you repent. If you were to carry on in Acts chapter 17 where we were a minute ago, Paul literally says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. He commands it. But he's not talking about moral behavior just getting better. He's talking about out of your faith in Christ comes a changed life. Out of my faith in Christ comes repentance. I turn from my sin and I move toward God. Just so you understand this, the word in which we get repent in the Bible, it comes from a Greek word, matineo. Matineo, and this is what it means. It means to be changed from a different way of thinking. It's a change in your inner man. It's a change in your heart and a change in your mind. And then that leads to an outward change. So in other words, God shows you your sin and He opens your heart to understand it. And then God gives you a knowledge to understand your sin. And as He renews this mind and He gives you a new heart, now I have desire to follow Him. That's repentance. Repentance is your responsibility. So in other words, I'm not saying that you pray this prayer, do you know how many, and I'm not anti-sinner's prayer, but do you know how many people throughout the ages have knelt down and prayed a prayer and never been saved? Do you know today that the majority of the gospel preached don't even include, don't even include the word repentance? Repentance is not even a, a thing today, but let me show you why that's a problem. Go with me to, um, I'll just read these very quickly. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and then look what he said. Here's the preaching. Here's the message. The first gospel ever preached as far as in the New Covenant, verse 2, says this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Y'all see that? This is the gospel. Repent. And then this is the next version because it didn't just... John was the forerunner, but let's follow this gospel and see did it ever change. Jesus comes on the scene in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. You had it up there just a minute ago. And it says, From the time Jesus began to preach, this is what He said. These are the first recorded words of Jesus Christ. The first recorded words. The first word ever recorded that Jesus said this. What is it? This is the heart of the gospel. Keep going with me. Mark chapter 6 verse 12. These are the disciples that come after Jesus. So they went out and proclaimed that people should what? Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Let's just keep going. Luke chapter 5. Let's do um, verse um, 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what I've come to do. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, we see Peter. He says, Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 26, verse 20, last one I'll give you. Paul says, But he declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Guys, listen to me. I want you to understand something. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. On the one side you have faith, and that's what you are saved by. Faith and faith alone. But on the other side of that coin is repentance. Is a turning away from my rebellion of God and a turning to God in surrender and submission. And it happens because my mind has been changed. It happens because my heart has been changed. Y'all tracking with me? So, repentance is a human responsibility. You are commanded to repent. If you think that you are walking in faith and you're not walking in repentance, guys, Paul would tell you today and I would tell you too, examine yourself as to see whether you're in the faith. Now again, I'm not saying you won't have stumbles. I'm not saying you won't have slip-ups. But how many people do we have today that were once saved, always saved, because I prayed a prayer? How many... I'm going to be... Can I be honest with you this morning? This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Do you know how many funerals I've stood in front of and tried my best to preach them into heaven because they were a believer and yet the life they lived. And people will say, and listen, listen to me. People will say, for their own comfort, and I understand it, they'll say, well, they put their faith in Christ. Well, praise God, even the demons believe. And they tremble. I'm trying to tell you today that faith is a human responsibility, repentance is a human responsibility, and it comes from faith. If you can't see faith in your life, you need to be on your knees seeking God, blindly feeling from Him until you find Him. If you can't see repentance in your life, you need to be questioning your faith. Now, if you see yourself moving toward God and still stumbling along the way, I get that. Stumbling bad along the way. I'm talking about falling down, busting my nose, knocking the teeth out of my mouth. Uh, Y'all with me? I'm not talking about stumbles. I'm talking about lifestyles. If you tell me today that you're walking in faith, but you don't have repentance, I'm sorry to tell you today your faith is not genuine. And you are not going to make it. That's the truth. That's the gospel, folks. Faith is a human responsibility. I've got to speed this thing up or y'all got to wait on me one. Which one's it going to be? I think y'all be waiting. Number three, last one. Godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow works repentance. When I told Ronnie Lee I wanted to sit and talk to Jacob, I'm not trying to be his judge. I'm not trying to determine, yes, God saved you. No, God didn't save you. That's not my call. That ain't Ronnie's call. But you know why I wanted to sit with Jacob? Because I wanted to see, does he have a broken heart? 
does he understand that he has sinned against his God. Because if that has not taken place, the rest of it, it's not there. Let me prove it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is my last um, place I'll... No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Get me lying in the pulpit. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. <clears throat> Notice what Paul says here. For godly grief, or godly sorrow is another translation there. For godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly sorrow produces a repentance. It produces it. If godly sorrow is not there, there will not be a repentance that leads to salvation. That's my point. That's why i got to sit and i got to talk to Jacob. That's the reason when you come up here and you want to put your faith in Christ, i got to talk to you. Because i got to make sure that the Holy Spirit has opened your heart and He's opened your eyes so that you understand, I am a sinner and this is what this means. And godly sorrow will produce a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly sorrow produces death. See, here's the thing about it. Do you know how many people come to Jesus because their life is just in a mess? I mean, I'm just at the bottom. I mean, I've lost everything. They didn't, they didn't come and repossess my dog. That's how bad it is. I, they didn't took my dog. I mean, do you know how many people come to Christ because my life is just in a mess? I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And praise Jesus, He's going to save me. Let me explain something to you. If that's where your motivation is and that's where you're at, you won't be saved from nothing. But if you come to Jesus understanding, I am a sinner against my Creator. I don't care how good I think I've been. The wrath of God is against me. When you come with that understanding and that brokenness and that pleading, God, have mercy on me. Hold your place in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't move it. But go back to Psalm 51 sometime when you have time and listen to David's plea when he finally recognizes his sin. He says, he starts out Psalm 51 and this is what he says, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. And he pleads with God, please create in me a clean heart. He says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Read down through there and you'll see what I'm talking about. When this godly grief comes into your heart, and only the Holy Spirit can do this. He'll open your eyes and He'll open your heart to it. But when that happens, you will come pleading for mercy. And it will produce a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And look at verse 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, For see what earnestness or speed or haste this godly sorrow has produced in you. In other words, he's talking to people that are in repentance. And so he says to them, look at your life. Look at when, when I met with Jacob and whenever he starts talking about his sin and, I, and we start talking about the new life that Christ's going to give him, man, he gets excited. What do I read? What do I pray? What do I do? In other words, just give me something. And I love 
that Paul says when this godly grief comes in and this salvation comes in, it produces an earnestness in me, a speed, a haste. And then not, not just speed or haste, but it says an eagerness. It produces an eagerness to clear yourselves. Now that don't mean that all of a sudden I've got to make myself better. It means it produces an a eagerness, a desire that I want to get this repentance on track. I want to follow Christ. I want to prove that my confession of faith is real. That's what I want. And then he goes on, he says, it also produces what indignation. You know what indignation is? Hatred, anger. When I see my sin, it oh man, I hate my sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I hate my sin. I hate it. What indignation, what fear, in other words, what awe of God, what longing in me, what desire to pursue what is good and what is right, what zeal, in other words, the seriousness in me, this burning desire in me to pursue this, and what punishment. And when he says punishment, he don't mean that I'm being punished. He means that I've got a new vengeance out on my sin. i got a new vengeance out on my sin. I don't surrender to this thing. I'm at war with this thing. That's repentance, guys. That Read that. Mark that down. If you're taking notes, say, this is repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. And this is repentance that leads to salvation. Listen, if there is no godly sorrow, there is no repentance. And if there is no repentance, there is no salvation. It's not there. If you don't see this at work in your life, it is not there. And I plead with you to go back to God like David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And if that heart ever gets in you, there are some people, they listen to me preach going, well, you just shut up already. You're not there yet. Sorry. And I pray for you. I really do. I pray that one day God will open your heart and God will open your eyes and you will be the one crying and pleading, God, have mercy on me, a sinner against you. And this is what drives you to Him. <clears throat> Repentance is the point. That's the point. Turn from your sin and turn to God. And this will happen if your salvation is genuine, if there's real godly grief. It comes from faith. And all the curse in this world is meant to bring us to repentance and faith. Godly sorrow always produces it. That's the point. That's the point of everything you endured today. That's the point of all the evil in this world. And I pray with all my heart that you get the point. And I pray that it changes your life completely.